Right, we're in 1 Corinthians. If you want to pull out a Bible, there's some in front of you if you don't have one or, or go digital. That's cool. So long as you turn off all notifications. And uh, chapter 5 is what we're going to hit today. So we're going in. It's a heavy chapter. We're going to go for it. But our first thought is this phrase. And if you know any Spanish at all, you might know it. It's, uh, it's pronounced nimodo. Nimodo. Anybody heard this word, this phrase? Nimodo. So when we were, uh, oh, the late 90s, we took a mission trip of students here with, with churches all over the northwest to Mexico. And one of the things they do before we take, you know, 300 students into Mexico is they have these meetings and they try to create some cultural sensitivity so a bunch of Americans don't stumble in and become highly offensive and violate all these customs we have no idea about. So they're telling us different things. And one of the things they, ta- they were teaching us about Mexican culture is there's a certain relaxed nature to it. And so this phrase, nimodo, captures that a little bit. And it kind of, it means this. It means, no big deal. Meh. Oh, well. It's sort of like, I was going to go to my friend's house for dinner and the car broke down. Now I'm two hours late. Nimodo. We'll get there when we get there. It's no big deal. We we're going to have them over. The fridge quit. The meat spoiled. Nimodo, we'll do something else. It's just, there's a very, there's not a panic. There's not a, oh no, this is horrible. Uh, If you're late, you're late. If it breaks down, it breaks down. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's nimodo. It's just, there's this casualness when we might think something just went wrong and everything's terrible and I can't. No, no big deal. It's okay. It is what it is. It's out of our control. This sort of phrase captures that. So I remember that we were learning that and in one of our things. And so we're down in Mexico we're in Tijuana, and we're in a kind of a village of Tijuana called El Florido. So we're not, ta- we're not talking about dirt streets. Uh, you know, housing is just kind of shacks and shanties with whatever materials. There's big power lines going by, and people come up and wrap wire around it. So there's like speaker wire running across the road. To the ho- I mean, it's like, is this good? Not good. That's how it is. So we're maneuvering through these streets, doing little building projects, and... We're in a full-size school bus. Okay, these, these streets were not made for full-size school buses. But that's what we're in. So we're in a full-size school bus. And, and uh, the youth pastor that was here, Paul Waterman, one who, who trained me, he's driving the bus. I'm on the bus with him, and we're driving. And he goes around a corner, and he hits a pipe, some kind of pipe sticking up. And uh, this is the next thing we see. That's not an actual picture, but they're just giving you an idea. He runs over some kind of water main. And so water is just going and flowing down the street, and a bunch of local guys come around and look, and we're out there. And I don't remember if it was me or someone else, but at some point I said, Nimodo, Nimodo, right? No big deal. We just ran over, no big deal. And there was just this like stern Modo, right? No, this matters. This is not a Nimodo event. This is a real problem. You just ran over our water main, our supply of water is running down the street. This is, this is a big deal. Sorry, you don't get to use Nemo, though. So it just kind of, this stood out to me like, oh, okay. There's times when it's not a big deal, and then there's times when it's a big deal. Like, you just can't leave a water main running on the street, and what do we do? And there was, you know, I'm sure they said a lot of things that my Spanish didn't pick up and, and their unhappiness. So I'm going to make you wait to the end to hear what we did. But uh, I just wanted you to know, it is a big deal. Some things are a big deal. Some things shouldn't be a big deal, and we make them a big deal. And some things we don't think are a big deal really should be 
a big deal. And we're going to talk about that today, that it is a big deal. And what we're specifically going to talk about is that living for Christ, it is a big deal. We're going to see that sometimes we can take faith lightly. We can take being a part of a church family lightly. And there's kind of, ah, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you want to go there, that's fine. If you want to follow Jesus, good for you. If you want to attend a service, that's great. But, but it's not really that big of a deal. Let's not get too serious about it. Let's not get over into it too much. Let's just, let's just nemo those. That's okay. And what we're going to see in chapter 5 is that it's extremely big deal how we live how we conduct our church, how we deal with sin areas, how we understand our identity in Christ, it's a big deal. And it should be a big deal. So that's what we're going to look at today. Living for Christ, it is a big deal. It does matter. So I want us to read through the passage. As we read through chapter 5, you'll kind of quickly go, oh, whew, yeah, this is a big deal passage. Oh, man. So let's read through chapter 5 together. And... Uh, And then we'll come back and look through and piece it all together. So it's heavy duty. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. See how it's a big deal? (laughs) For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Whew, big deal, right? Uh, they, were going, they were taking the Nemodo route, and Paul's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is not a Nemodo. All right, so let's get after it. Let's figure this out. We're going to go through what's happening in this passage, and then we're going to talk about why living for Christ is a big deal. I'll give you some reasons. So the first one, let's just get at the issues. What is going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? What is going on here? There's actually two, two issues. We have an individual, and then we got a church with some issues. So you saw that in, in uh, verse 1. 
There is the sexual immorality, the kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. The Greek culture of Corinth is going, we don't do this. This is wrong. This is gross. We don't do this. And it's simply a man has his father's wife. Now, he doesn't say his mother. So my guess is this is a stepmom. That would be my best guess. Because it doesn't say a man is with his mother, right? It says your father's wife. So maybe the mom's died or divorced. It doesn't say, but it says that. And, and um, it doesn't say whether the father is living or not. I don't know. He could be. In any, any case, it doesn't matter. He's hooked up with his stepmom. He's going, the culture at large doesn't do this. And then if we look into the Old Testament, this is just one of numerous places where this is resoundly condemned. Deuteronomy 27.20 says, Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say amen. So there's just, it's a violation. It's a family violation. It's a moral violation, a sexual violation. It's, it's a mess. It's a disaster. And uh, Paul's saying, <laughs> God condemns it. Scripture condemns it. The culture you live in condemns it. What is going on? What is going on? And for, you know, it, it's rough. So that's what's happening. There's this, there is an existing known sexual sin in this church. It's not a secret. Everybody knows. And Paul's going, this is a real problem. So that's problem one. There is a flagrant, open, willful sexual immorality going on. But that's only problem one. The second problem is actually with the church. And if you saw that in verse two, and you are arrogant. You're prideful. And so there, you see that in verse two, you guys are prideful. And you see it down in uh, verse six. Your boasting is not good. So what, you got to think a little bit, what is a prideful about? Are they like, yeah, nice job, you're, you're with your stepmom? I've never had a stepmom, but a lot of people are like, I don't like her at all, right? <laughs> right? I don't know. But anyways, uh, is it that? They're like, nice job, bro. I don't think so. I don't think the arrogance is specifically like, yay, you did this thing. Um, so what's going on? There's some different possibilities for the arrogance. Um, what we've seen in this letter so far is that the church itself has become arrogant. We've looked at this in the first four chapters. They've sort of thought they've arrived. They're looking down on Paul. They're evaluating the different teachers. It's sort of a we've got it figured out. We're a church. We've, we're, we've arrived. We saw that in chapter four. Paul saying, you're kings, right? You, you think you're on top of the world. You've understood it all. So it could just be simply that he's saying, you have this massive problem in your church on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you're looking down on me and thinking you know better than me, saying you're prideful about being a church that's arrived and knows what good leaders are, but then you've got this gross problem going on, and where's this pride coming from? You know, it's sort of like you're looking at your neighbor going, that lawn is terrible, and when are you going to take care of your yard, and you've got five-foot-tall weeds going on, and you know, like... What are we doing here? And I think that, that's one possibility that Paul's going, this whole time you guys are looking down on me, you're rejecting me, you're prideful about who you are as a church, and you've got this gross sin happening. Like, what, what, this, this doesn't work. So that's, that's one possibility for the pride. And I think pride is rooted in a sense of a general autonomy, which means I do what I want to do. Right? That, that's the root of pride. I'm a free agent. 
I don't owe anyone anything. I don't answer to anyone. I can do what I want with my mind, with my body, with sexuality, with my money. Like that, I think that's really the root of pride. So Paul's come in, he's founded this church, and then someone in the church is like, yeah, if I want to be with my stepmom, that's great. And the church is kind of like, yeah, we just do what we want. I think that's kind of the, the, the pride attitude. I don't know if they're prideful about the specific event, but they're just prideful in general. And that's a challenge for all of us. We see this. If you want to look over in um, James, James talks about pride. In James chapter 4, he talks about this idea of sort of being a free agent, that you act on your own, that no one gets to tell you what to do. If you see it in um, James 4.13, it says, uh, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The root of boasting is I go where I want, I do what I want, I live how I want, and there's no like, wait, should I check in with God? Does God want me to do this? Is this part of God's path for me? Your life is this long, he's saying, and you're acting like you can do whatever you want. And um, so I think that's the root of the pride. I don't know that they're prideful about that man's specific choice, but I think it's this pride of we do what we want. We're saved and God's forgiven us, but hey, if you want to make that choice, well, I guess we can do what we want and we're free and we're looking down on you, Paul. So those are the two issues going on. There's a gross sexual immorality and there's just a prideful attitude in the church. So what would have been the right response? What, what should they have done? What's the right response? Let me get back to 1 Corinthians here. So the right response is in... Verse 2, he said, uh, Ought you not rather to mourn? The first response is just mourning. It's sad. If you know someone who's a follower of Jesus, and at some point in their life, they're like, I'm out. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to enter this rebellion. I'm going to go into this relationship. I'm going to think what I want to think. It's grievous, it's heartbreaking. It's people that you've loved and you've served, and they're, and they're going out, and they're, you're like, that choice is going to hurt you. You're messing with your future. You're setting your life on fire. It's not like, yeah, sure, be free. Do what you want. He says, you should be sad for this guy. He's known Jesus. He's, under, he's been forgiven, and now he's entering a horrible thing, and no one's upset about it. We should be, we should be grieved. And when someone we know and love in Christ turns back or turns to a sinful way it's, just, it's heartbreaking Paul's saying yeah that's the right response we grieve we mourn we pray so that's the first response is you just ought to be grieved the second response though was <laughs> let him who has done this be removed so not only are we supposed to be grieved like yeah you, you gotta kick him out you just can't he just can't keep doing that he can't willfully do it. he can't be unrepentant he can't be like no it's fine it's one thing to say i messed up it's terrible. Forgive me. Get me on track. Let's go. That's, that you can work with. But this clearly is not. He's like, I just do it. That's that pride. I just do what I want. So he's like, no, you got you to kick him out. You got to get him out of there. 
Now it gets real heavy when we get down to uh, uh, verse 3 through 5 here. He says, For though I'm absent in body, I'm present in spirit. As if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did this thing. He's like, this is not good. And when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Remember how I said this is a big deal? (laughs) Wow. Right? You come in on one Sunday, sorry, you're out to Satan. What is going on here? What does this mean? What are we talking about? This is heavy. It's not just, I don't want you to come to our church anymore. We are specifically delivering you in your rebellion over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Okay, let's get, uh, let's dig into that a little bit. What does it mean to deliver over to Satan? How, how does that work? Let's look at a few passages. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan is a rebellious spiritual being and his domain is on this earth. And this, is, this scripture right here is one of the ones that declares that. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's operating, he's deceiving, he's lying, he's harming. He's here, he's working in opposition to God. So to be, put out into the, to be put out of the church is to go to the realm, to the world, which is in the power of the evil one. So that's one step. If we go over to, uh, I want to see it a little further in Colossians 1. You want to turn over to Colossians chapter 1. I really want to understand, what does this mean to be given over to Satan? Colossians chapter 1. We're gonna, it's a prayer of Paul. And right at the end, we get a glimpse of what that might mean. So when we, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, it's this beautiful prayer, but we're going to get a glimpse of what does it mean to be in his dominion. So first, let's look at the prayer, verse 9. Paul's praying over this church. It says, from the day we heard, I heard of their faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's like, I want you to grow in knowing what God wants. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Right? So the life of the believer is to grow, to please God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see the idea of growth. We want to grow in Christ, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we're just rejoicing that you're with Christ, you're in the inheritance. Look at verse 13 is the key. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So when you come to Jesus, it's not just I didn't believe and now I believe. You have literally been taken from the realm of the evil one, the realm of Satan, in darkness, and you've been moved out of that kingdom to the kingdom of Christ. Where there's victory, you're, in, you're redeemed, you cannot be touched or taken away. You see that beautiful picture? So to be delivered back out, you're being pushed back out of that. That's what he's saying. The world lies in the power of the evil one. The body of Christ has been transferred from his power to the power of Christ, saved, redeemed, with him, in the community, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, you put him back out there. Transfer him back out there. Push him back out there. That's what he's saying. So he says, put him out there, what for? For the destruction 
of the flesh. Whew. What does that mean? I'll show you one more quickly here in John 10, 10. Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd coming for the sheep. But then he switches and talks about the evil one, the enemy. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and hand it abundantly. So if you're going to take a believer who's in rebellion and say, you're out, and we've put you out to the realm of the enemy, you're in the realm where he's coming to steal and kill and destroy, and he's going to use the lie to trap you. This is, this is heavy. But it's, we're putting you out of the community, out of the protection, and the, the purpose was the destruction of the flesh. Not necessarily even physical, but your whole earthly being. And I've watched it. Sexual sin affairs can create an absolute wave of destruction, right? There is a relational destruction. Just tears up, can tear up families. There is an emotional destruction that goes on when someone rebels in this way. There is a financial destruction, right? A lot of people, affair, divorce leads to a bankruptcy, leads to destitute single parent, right? This is barely, it's, it's messy, right? It can chew you up. There can, be, there can be physical problems, right? There are sexually transmitted diseases. There are sicknesses that can come. And it certainly chews you up spiritually. If you're in an open rebellion, your prayers are not being heard. <laughs> the Lord's not blessing the things of your hands. And the point is that that's, that's the point. That's the point. A lot of times we think, oh, they just went to another church. No, no, if someone's being removed because of willful, rebellious sin, and they will not repent, and they will not come back, you just put them out there and let the enemy and his lies beat them up, chew them up. It's a big deal, right? So why? <laughs> Let's get to, why would we do that? Why would we do that? That's brutal, right? Why would, why would Paul tell us to do that as a church? Back to verse 5. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The point is redemptive. You want someone like, okay, you just go do it then. You go believe the lies of the enemy. You go live however you want. And when you've had enough getting kicked in the face, maybe you come back. This This is the prodigal son. If you know the story in Luke 15. Dad, give me all the money. I'm going to go do a wild living. And somewhere along the line, he's starving, feeding pigs, can't even eat the food they're eating. And he goes, you know what? The servants at my father's house are eating better than this. I'm going home. Right? That's the moment you want. There's people that I know that I want. I've prayed that, Lord, let them hit the wall right now before they ruin their future, they ruin their life, they ruin their body. Please, Lord, let them have that moment where they're in the pig pen and they say, but God, I can go home to my father's house. And what's the father do in the story? He runs to him. He wants you to come home. Right? The point of this is not punitive. This is not permanent. Right? The point is that they would come back and they would repent and join the community and be saved in the day of the Lord and not stay in rebellion. So that it is not punitive. It is redemptive. Like, have your fill of this. Get it over with. Realize how good it is in the Father's house. Realize how good you've got it in Christ. Come home. Come home. So that's the first reason that this person would be restored. 
And so if those people in your life don't lose heart and hope, this can happen. The second reason is for the sake of the community, right? For the sake of the church. You put them out, not only that they get beat up enough to come back, but also to stop bad influence, right? This is, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? You put a little bit of yeast in a big bowl of dough and it, it rises, we hardly make bread anymore. Anybody actually make bread? Very rarely. Sometimes now we've got the bread machine that does all the whoop, 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 whoop for you, but you still watch it slowly rise. But it just takes a little bit. You don't put three cups of yeast in. You put like a teaspoon in or a tablespoon, and whoop, and that's the point. A little bit can influence the whole thing. And I think he's saying, look, you just have one guy starting to do this wacky thing with his stepmom, and the next guy's over here doing this crazy thing, and pretty soon the attitude in the church is, do whatever you want, right? You think that's not the attitude you want? It's not the example you want for kids? Like, that's not where you want to go with this thing. So, so you can't leave that negative influence. It's got to be purged. It's got to go out. I remember when I turned out for the football team as a sophomore, we had this group of seniors that were just mean and jerks, and they were terrible in practice, and they got us all in trouble all the time, so we were having to run all the time. And then we were terrible on the field, and we got beat all the time. And by the end, a bunch of them got kicked off the team for partying, and it was just a huge bummer. Like, it just wasn't very fun. And then the next year, it's a whole, they're gone. And it was just, it was fun again. And there was encouragement, and we helped each other, and we won a couple more games. Weren't very good. But, uh, but there was just a different spirit. Like, this feels better. We don't have a few people that are jerks that are bringing the whole morale down and doing stupid stuff. They're just gone. And so it changed. And that's the same thing. You don't want to just leave an unrepentant attitude in the church because of the influence. You know, it's not punitive. You want them to come back, but you don't want to, on the other hand, say, yeah, it doesn't matter. We don't care about holiness. We don't care about obeying the Lord. Just do what you feel like. No. It's destructive for them. It's destructive for you. So that's the reasons why this strong thing is there. You want the person to get beat up enough to come back, and you don't want a negative influence in the church. So I'll give you some boundaries. There are some boundaries to this, right? The boundaries come down there in verse uh, 9. In verse 9, he talks to you. He says, I wrote to you my letter. So this is just sort of side information, but... The letter we're reading is 1 Corinthians, likely should be called 2 Corinthians, because there's some previous letter that we don't have. So he said, I already wrote to you about this. Now he's writing again. But uh, anyways, that's just for what it's worth. He says, I wrote to you my letter. I, I told you about this before, not to associate with sexually immoral people. But he says what, in verse 10, um, lost my place, not meaning the sexually immoral of the world. And we're not walking around condemning everyone, you're to Satan, you're to Satan, you're to Satan. He's like, no, 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 Woo, time out. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about everybody out there, right? We're not talking about that. He said, you'd have to leave the world. You'd have to just be gone. You can't escape sin. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Remember we read that? And if people are dead in their trespasses and sins, then they're dead in their trespasses and sin. It's everywhere. It's where we all start. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we all start. So we can't be like, well, I'm going to go around condemning everyone. He's like, no, 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 no. No. He says, but I now, verse 11, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. 
For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges the outside, purge the evil. So the boundary is we don't go around condemning our whole world, right? That's not the point. John 3.16 said God loves the world. John 3.17 says the, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. So that's not our job. But if someone says, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm in the church community, and I can do whatever I want sexually, right? Like, boop, time out. No, no, we're saved to live holy lives. This is not okay, and that attitude's not okay. So if someone's going to insist, this is not, I made a mistake, and I want to get help, and help me out of This is a willful desire to be in rebellion. This is someone says, I'm a believer, and I can do this. Like, no, that's against scripture. That's not okay. That's what we're talking about here. Inside the church. So that's the boundaries. We don't want to go out of here and get after everybody. So here's the point I've been making. Living for Christ, it is a big deal. Did you sense big deal in this stuff? Delivering people to Satan, kicking people out? Like, I thought we were just singing some happy songs and having pie today. Whoa, that's a big deal. So why? I'm going to give you three reasons. Why is it a big deal? Why an extreme response? Why is Paul doing this? Why is it a big deal? The first one is that our public witness for Christ is a big deal. Our pub, how we look in our community is a big deal. So we saw that if you looked back in verse 1, he's saying the thing this guy was doing is not even tolerated among the pagans. Every, everyone, this was bad. It was bad biblically. <laughs> it was bad culturally. Like, what are you doing, man? This is gross. Stop. So there, it's this thing like, this is terrible. You're saying you're a follower of Jesus, and you're doing something that nobody wants to do. Like, what are you doing? It's a horrible witness. He's like, it matters. We want to demonstrate who Jesus is and what salvation looks like and how we live and work and function in our community is extremely important look over at first peter's if you want to know a lot about it, that's the letter to go to first peter talks a lot about how we live as public christians and specifically public christians under trials and persecutions and in a hostile culture first peter's your book but if you go to verse 11 and 12 first peter chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 just gives us i'll just give you one of them but if you really want to know about that do the whole letter 1 Peter 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Don't follow the passions and urges. Like, stop. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against his evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You might be maligned. You might be mistreated. And they go, but look how they live. And it has the opportunity to create praise of God when he shows up. So our public witness is of a huge deal. And I think what we need to add that Paul didn't have and Peter didn't have, we have our public witness in your neighborhood, in your work situation, or your community that you live in, how you function, how you go to school. You want to be a model student with honor and respect and integrity and how you work because we're naming the name of Christ. But we've got a whole other realm we've got to behave in. The social realm, the social media realm. Sometimes people are just excellent neighbors, and then you look at their feed, and you're like, oh, where's this venom coming from, right? My phone needs to be sanitized. 
we got to be honorable in that space too. Like you don't get a free pass when you're online. We still want honorable speech. We still want to be respectful, whether we're on a social media or looking somebody eyeball to eyeball at work, right? All of these are spaces where our public witness matters. We want Jesus glorified. We want people who think Christians are stupid, backwards, terrible to go, but this one that works next to me is full of integrity, full of grace, full of kindness, full of respect, always ready to sacrifice, always ready to serve. Like, what's going on with that person? That's what we want. We don't want, you know, that Christian neighbor of mine's the biggest jerk, the loudest, they're lighting off fireworks still in late July. Like, we don't, no, we don't want that because it dishonors the name of Christ. So that's, it's a big deal. We want to live for Jesus publicly and honor him. So that's the first reason it's a big deal. The second one is the church family is a big deal. And I think this one really stood out to me as I was studying. I think we just think about, yeah, I go, I go to a church. I attend a worship service. That is not at all the picture we see here. It is a huge deal. Look at just the language he uses in, in verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're not just sitting in Northwest Baptist Church. We are coming under the name of the resurrected Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. Whoa! That is the name above names, and we're gathered in that name. We're not just sitting in a room. We're gathered in the name of Jesus. Whoa! And then he says, my spirit is present. Like Paul saying, I'm with you in spirit. And with the power of the Lord Jesus, the resurrected power of Jesus is present. That's not just sitting in a room for an hour. That's not just gathering to pray for an hour. This is, this is a big deal to be a part of a church family. Jump over to, with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 talks so much about this. Verse, starting in verse 11. I just want you to see the language Paul uses. We think about, do I go to that church? Did I like that pastor? Did I not? Did I like their coffee? Did I not? Did I like that music? Did I not? And we're just attending a gathering. That's not at all the picture of what it means to be in a New Testament church. I want you to listen to the language and the weight and realize being a part of this is a big deal. I'm going to do a longer chunk here, but we've got we to feel this. Ephesians 2.11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's all non-Jews, that's us, in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated for Christ. This is what it's talking about before you know Jesus. So you're, you're, out, you're on the outside. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that's the, the people of God, you're, you're not part of it. And strangers to the covenant promises, the covenant promises, they weren't for you. You don't have them. You're outside. You're having no hope and without God in the world. That's where we start. You're on the outside. You don't have the promises. You don't have grace. You're not in the community. You don't have any of it. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, meaning both Jews and Gentiles. Now, don't think of this like me, individual believer, getting saved. Look at the community language. Let's see where I leave off. He is our peace, verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man 
in place of the two, so making peace. So one new people of God. He's made peace between us and himself and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Not one whole bunch of individuals. One body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Being a part of the church family means you have access to God. Oh, I keep losing my place. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Not members of the household of a, a local expression. A local expression is part of the big one. You're part of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Whoa. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you get that language? Whoever left these there, thank you. Um, that language is amazing. We're not just going to a gathering and singing, studying God's Word. We're being built into the whole family of God, Jews and Gentiles, through the years, built on Jesus Christ. And the point is for God to make his home among us. That's a big deal. We're one local expression of the big one, but it's not just I go to a church building or gathering. We are filled with the presence of God and the Spirit of God and under His power, and it's a big deal to be a part of it. It's a big deal to be in this community. If you're outside the community, we read what happened, you're out in the realm of the enemy. So to be inside, to be filled with the presence of God under the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, and there's a bunch of people caring about you and seeking together to worship and serve God, that's a big deal. And I think we can take it lightly. We can take it lightly. And I think what's the, the good thing about all the COVID stuff we've been through is as people have come back, I've sensed a greater appreciation. As every week for the last, I don't know, two months, it's been somebody's first week back. Every week for the last, I don't know, at least eight. And because you tell me, today is my first day back. You tell me it. And then you say, wow, it's good to be back. There's something happening in this room that isn't happening at home. Now, at home is a good way to stay connected. I'm not, we're, we're going through the effort to bring it to you at home, so that's, not a, that's a we don't want to lose total touch with you. But there's something about physically being in the room. And we're not just because we're sitting in these chairs, because the Spirit of God is moving among us through His Word. People next to you are worshiping and praying, and there's something about it that's a big deal. And I think we need to see that. And that's why Paul's saying it's such a big deal. We don't want some rebellious person to mess it up. We don't want that. We want them to repent. And if they won't, then they got to go out for a while until they will. But I think for us, it was a good reminder just how valuable the church is and, and the view of it. They, God wants to dwell among us. It's a big deal. All right, final one here. Living our identity in Christ is a big deal. Who you really are, when you turn to Jesus, that's a big deal. And it changes your identity. All right, back to 1 Corinthians 5. What verse did I got there? This is this picture here in verses 7 and 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. He's talking this imagery of leaven and Passover. And this takes us back to the Exodus event. 
Right, he says, uh, verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let me stop there. This is going back to when God's people, Israel, was enslaved in Egypt, and God said, I'm going to free you, and he's going to do it by plaguing the Egyptians. So there's all these plagues. Plague 10 is the plague of the death of the firstborn. So every household that had a firstborn in it, any firstborns in here? Me. <laughs> I always read that. Like, That'd have been me. Uh, I'm a firstborn. Every household of the firstborn was going to be killed unless you sacrificed a lamb and spread the blood over your doorway. And then the destroying angel passed over. You were spared from death. And so the, the Jewish people were told this is an annual remembrance festival. And they celebrated it with a week-long deal of unleavened bread. You know, think pita bread, right? They're not, no leaven, no yeast. And then the one day was the actual Passover meal where they would sacrifice a lamb. And why are you doing this? Because God delivered us and death passed over. So Paul's referring to that, but they for a week didn't have any leaven. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are. God doesn't have a thing against yeast, right? The issue is it represents the influence of sin and evil. So let's remove that. So he's saying, live according to your new identity. He says, you actually are a new lump. When you turn to Christ, it's not that someday you become something. You are new. You are cleansed. Sin and death has been paid for. That's who you are. So he says, live according to who you are. You are a new lump. You've, the, the sin has been removed from you. Then so you see verse 8, let us celebrate the festival, the idea of worshiping Jesus, this whole Passover. Oh, I missed that part, though. Oh, let me go back. Very important. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So they had the lambs that they would sacrifice. But when Jesus shows up on the scene and John the Baptist is telling everybody who he is, you remember what he called him? the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist says. Oh, there he is, the Lamb of God. Now, I've never been called a lamb by anybody that I appreciated, right? How about a ram? No lamb, right? No. So the whole point was he's the sacrifice, right? He is the one. It's his blood over our life that keeps the destroyer from us, that keeps us from sin and death and hell and damnation. It's Jesus. So Paul's taking that festival, putting it to Jesus and saying, you have been cleansed. Jesus has been sacrificed for you. Verse 8, therefore let us celebrate the festival, i.e. live your life, not with the old leaven, not the old ways, with malice and evil, where you're always planning and plotting the next evil, the next thing, living for our lust. He's like, that's the old you, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I just want to earnestly live for Jesus. And when we mess up, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to cleanse us. But we, I just really want to, he says, let's sincerely, honestly live for Jesus because that's who you are. When you turn to Christ, you've been cleansed. You're part of the new family. You're new in Christ. Live that way. That's who you are now. Live out your identity. So living for Christ, it is a big deal. It's a big deal. All right. Has anybody been on the edge of their seat wondering what happened to the water main? Nate's wondering. Nemo, though, right? 
So this is what's random about this trip to Mexico. We're down there. We run over the water main. Water's pouring everywhere. And then around the corner comes a guy driving a backhoe. Because we're in Mexico and a guy drives it. Mean, so he just pulls over. This is not. He just pulls over and starts fixing it. Like, I mean, he's not like from the public works department. Just a dude is in his backhoe driving. Like, oh, there's a. And he comes over and fixes it. I was like, this is only in Mexico like this. But anyway. So I've never seen guys around here driving around backhoes looking for water mains. But in Mexico, they're just, they're ready. He's just ready to go. Starts digging it and fixes it. And uh, so we kind of drove away. But. The point was, they weren't like, let's get to it next week. Let's let all our water run down the road. Let's just not deal with it. The point was, they dealt with it. This is a big deal. We need to fix the water main. And thank you, guy on the backhoe. So for us, like we just went through some heavy stuff. And I'm wondering if there's some immediate response. Not next week. Not next month. Jesus right now is in the backhoe. The Holy Spirit is in the backhoe going, let's just dig that mess up and fix it right now. So I don't know what it is. We're in a culture where, you know, sexual sin via porn and internet is just insidious and it's, no one has to see, right? It's not obvious like in this thing. Is there something going on you need to confess and repent today? Is there something under the water? Is there something you go, I need to get healed. This is messing me up, my family. This could, unrepentant, start to mess the church community up. You can come today and repent. Maybe there's something going on where you're going, I've never turned to Jesus. I am, I am in the malice. I'm outside. I want to be in the community. I want to be, you can come today right up here and just say, Jesus, I want to be filled with you. Maybe you need to respond to that today. Uh, and anything else, God's stirring in your heart. We're going to sing a song here. Pastor Mark's going to come, team. And I'm just going to be down here. If you want to come up here and pray to yourself, and to the Lord, just come up and do it. If you want someone to pray over you, just talk to me. And uh, maybe um, Rick and Eric guys want to be up here too. And just, it's a time to respond. Don't wait. If the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and you're going, I need to repent. I need to turn back. I need to confess this sin. I need to respond to Jesus. This place is open for prayer right here. Let's, let's get to it now. Lord Jesus, we just come to you and pray and thank you that you died for our sins and that you bring us in not just to be a church where we meet to be a dwelling place for you you've made us holy so you can dwell here all right just pray if any are under conviction if they got something hiding they got something in the shadows they got something plaguing their life but you let them just confess it and bring healing if any need to come forward and just say you are the lord of my life and confess their sins for the first time would you give them boldness and any other reason, maybe someone just has been out of the, outside the community and they're just so thankful to gather today. Would you just encourage them in that? And Lord, any other business that needs to be done, would you let us do it today? Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.